stories from around the corner and around the country. You're listening to All the Best. Proudly supported by the Art Gallery of New South Wales. You're listening to All the Best from FBI Radio 94.5. I'm Madhura Prakash. Before we get into this week's stories, I'd like to take a moment to acknowledge that I'm recording from stolen Gadigal land and pay my respect to Gadigal elders past and present and also recognise that the area where FBI Radio is situated, Redfern, has long been a place of storytelling, strength, resistance and resilience for First Nations communities. This week, we're bringing you stories that consist of a leap of faith. My biggest leap of faith was when I started performing as a drag king. Drag forced me to reckon with my relationship to masculinity, gender, and with Bharatanatyam, the traditional South Asian dance form that I use in my performances. Dancing Bharatanatyam for something so out of the ordinary felt like a big risk. There are a lot of ties to Hinduism in Bharatanatyam, and for some Hindus, it's a sacred art form. So when I first started drag, I often worried the gods were going to smite me where I stood. I'd perform Namaskaram, a small ritual to honour the gods, almost apologetically, before I stepped on the stage. But later I learned that Bharatanatyam was often performed by courtesans before casteism and religious elitism co-opted the dance. Further, gender bending has been so common throughout the dance's history. Now, when I perform Namaskaram before I do drag, it's not as a prayer, but as good luck for my leap of faith. In our first story, Matthew recounts his journey from a youth of worshipping a terrifying and charismatic god to an adulthood worshipping glitter and revelry. Two thousand and two. Darwin. I'm sitting on a swing and I'm wearing a uh, 60s retro auburn flip wig. A um, sheer and shimmering aqua caftan bra, hot pants and a ostentatious pair of sparkling shoes. My body is full of glitter and ecstasy, I feel amazing. (laughs) It's New Year's Eve and I am performing in a nightclub and as the swing glides over the heads of the revelers there that night I begin to sing. Can't you see life's easy when you consider things? From another point of view. I mean, you know the song, right? Yeah, yeah, you know the song. Little did I know that considering things from another point of view would become such a staple in my life, but I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself. I wish that I had been born a Catholic. Catholics can do whatever they want. 
I mean, they don't own exclusive rights to the whole guilt thing. And besides, they've got the confessional, they've got penance. So you can be the most perfectly pious or the most wretchedly belligerent person. And there's a space for you in the endlessly open arms of the universal Catholic Church. Protestants, on the contrary, are defined by one single word, work. I mean, if you are in human resources, let me tell you, there is nothing more valuable than a working-class Protestant. <laughs> we will do literally anything. <laughs> and uh, so I was raised to know that I would be known by others by my fruit, by my good works, by my working to be good. I learned through the scriptures that salvation was a process of daily labor, and I worked hard towards that cause. I worked really hard towards that cause. 1996, I'm in Bachelor, a small township just south of Darwin, for those that don't know it. Um, it's an open-air chapel, sort of makeshift. Um, it's a revival meeting, and uh, people have gathered from all over the country, but, you know, not too many. They'd be just shy of a hundred folks. And um, a group of fabulous women who are part of a choir from somewhere in the Kimberley step up to a makeshift pulpit to sing their songs of praise to God. And as they sing, they, um, they begin to tremble and to shake. And, uh, and the atmosphere in the room is, is quite thick. And they're singing and they're shaking. And I can see that a number of these women start to fall to the floor. And when they hit the floor, it's like the room just is full of electricity. And as they're singing, shaking and falling, one by one, members of the audience too are fell to their knees, trembling beneath the power of an almighty deity. And a, um, an old cowboy rises up to the pulpit to uh, address the crowd. And uh, he says, this thing that we feel tonight, it's a mighty spirit wind, and it's been blowing through the desert and the regional places that the nation has forgotten. And that very wind was coming from those forgotten places and was about to sweep through the towns and the cities, and we were bearing witness to that tonight. He said that the souls of men were like sheaves of wheat bowing before that mighty spirit wind. He said there's power in the blood. The power of God to stand at the edge of time and call men forward. And for those of us who had ears to hear that night, we too were being called. And if we said yes, he would make us harvesters of souls. And with a fire in his eyes, he pointed his finger toward me and he said, how will you respond to that calling? Trembling on my knees. Feeling the weight of the power of Almighty God. I said, Lord, send me. I submit my life to your will. Let the wind of your spirit fill my lungs that the words of my mouth might heal the hearts of the broken. Send me. 
And a man that I respected came and put his hand on my head and as he touched me, waves of electricity pulsed through my body and he said, that's it, Maddie. From now on, no more school. From now, the ministry. It didn't work out. (laughs) But nonetheless... For the next five years, I gave myself completely to service of the church and the poor and needy. But by the end of that five years, for the church and for myself, things were starting to unravel. And at 22, and I've said it before, I came out of the closet and fell on to the floor And I wore high heels and makeup and dresses and more, and I danced for the boys like a queen and a whore. I swapped the pulpit for the podium and the pole. (laughs) I swapped vestiges and robes for um, wigs and stilettos. I swapped the church band for a soundtrack and a lip service for lip syncing for your life. And I felt powerful, well, most of the time. Um, But for the rest of the time, Darwin had just become a little bit too small. And somewhere between the polarity of the pulpit and the pole, there were just too many faces, too many memories, and I really needed to get some fresh air. So within a year, I fled to London in a daring daylight escape. 2006, London. I'm working for Universal Music. Uh, I have a lovely office overlooking St. James Square. My job is basically to listen to the entire back catalogue of Fantasy Records, which was a jazz and blues label that, um, you know, covered all the greats in that genre. So it was pretty lovely. Um, I had applied to uh, commence a degree in philosophy and theology. And, you know, I really wanted to do that work, you know, unpack uh, or, or develop a kind of toolkit to deconstruct and really contend with those big ideas and sort of make sense of those dogmatic days of my youth. So I'm, I'm probably listening to Miles Davis or something fabulous like that and... Um, and then my inbox makes a noise and there's an email containing documents saying that my study had been approved and I should commence uh, um, my studies in the spring. And I was so excited. And then all of a sudden, this just one terrifying thought came into my brain, which paralyzed me with fear because like, holy shit, I've just decided to go and study the Bible for three years? Like, what am I thinking? And what if in trying to contend with those structures and those ideas, they once again contend with me? Like, am I even strong enough for that? I mean, it's, it's not like I had been living a religious life. I mean, I left those structures behind many, many, many years before. But there's something about when you grow up with that as a scaffold around you that it, in some way it writes itself into your body. So I did something that felt really natural but was also kind of a surprise. I prayed. 
And I sat there at my desk and I closed my eyes and I lifted my head to heaven and I said, Lord, grant me the faith not to believe in you anymore. <laughs> and, it, and in that moment, it, it wasn't forever, but in that moment, everything just disappeared, like, just like, just like that. And I knew that everything was going to be okay. So perhaps I'm more of a Catholic than I thought I was. Because <laughs> after all, it took, a, um, it took a leap of faith to unbelieve, to uh, find a space within the endless open arms of the universe and consider things from another point of view. That story was told by Matthew Van Rodden as part of Spun, a live storytelling night based in Darwin. To hear more, head to www.spunstories.net. In our next story, Millie gets out of her comfort zone and out of her clothes to explore the awkwardness and empowerment that can be found when getting nude in front of your friends. Content warning for this story, there is exactly one swear word. I'm in the bathtub right now. It's about 1.5 metres by 70 centimetres of white narrow porcelain and there's barely any room to sit up comfortably. The water temperature is pleasant, it's cool to step into and I've added a few drops of bubble bath to make everything smell like lavender. But I'm not alone in the water vessel. I'm with my friend Shani. Yep. Hi. And we're both naked, crouched up with our knees facing each other and our arms are dangling out for support. But hey, it's weird for the two of us as well. <laughs> Can confirm. <laughs> See, Shani and I are completely platonic. We've only known each other for about a year. But I forced her into this nudist cleansing session <laughs> in homage to a television scene that has stuck with me since it first came out in 2012. Have you seen the first season of Girls? I have not, no. Okay, so the protagonist, Hannah, is in the bath and she's singing Wonderwall by Oasis and she's doing a terrible job at it. And then her best friend, Jessa, she walks into the bathroom and she's very, very upset. And then Hannah stops singing and she just looks at her best friend and Jessa wordlessly starts taking off her clothes and she just hops in on the other side of the bath. <laughs> and now she's like full on crying and she wipes her snotty nose on her hand and then she puts the snotty hand into the water. And then Hannah breaks the silence by saying something along the lines of, hey, everything else about this is fine, but not the snotty bath water. <laughs> yeah, valid. Valid. And it's raw <laughs> and it's intimate and it's vulnerable and it's normal. And it's something I guess I've always envied and yearned for in female identifying friendships. I don't know about you, but like in front of sexual partners, I can gallivant proudly in the nude. I can be completely in my birthday suit. And when I'm alone, I forget that I'm naked. But yeah. in yeah. front of my girlfriends, I kind of feel on edge. And when I have to strip in front of them, including right now in the bar, <laughs> I always make sure, I don't know if you've noticed, to make explicit eye contact like I'm not looking down don't worry oh yeah same <laughs> and I'm always comparing my own body and wondering whether my, my boob size or my pubic hair or my cellulite is normal and that like a little voice in the back of my head is wondering are you judging me are you no, no? <laughs> okay.
<laughs> I can politely ask Shani to strip and wade in water with me, but I wanted to learn how to naturalize being nude in front of my friends without it being a big deal by chatting to people who do it all the time. In the last couple of years, my roommate Amelia found acceptance and comfort in her skin. I would always be one to be quite anxious in like change rooms and just feel so awkward and like I didn't belong. And it often lead me to sort of have a panic attack and then piss mum off a bit because she couldn't understand what was going on. But I think the reason why I was just so uncomfortable is because you know, I, I was quite cognizant that I was this sort of lanky brown body with a white mum that looked nothing like me. And I'd walk into these shops with basically, you know, white models with curves and, and, and hips and breasts. And um, it's quite sad to look back on it and think about how much self-doubt I had in myself. I think I still struggle. I, I still make this joke that I have the body of a prepubescent teenage boy. Amelia went on exchange, studying in Boston, which opened up possibilities and situations she wasn't used to, but embraced wholeheartedly. I was single and I was in a city that was very conducive to like my exploration of being a, a queer person of colour. And, and quite a few people I knew were you know, not like walking around nude, but they'd often just take photos with friends in intimate platonic settings, being nude or just casually dressed in lingerie. I found comfort in that, and so I guess I came back to Sydney feeling like I'd grown in, in, in many ways, but also in, including, in a sense, uh, a healthy relationship with my body. And so over that 2018-2019 summer, I mean, maybe it was because it was hot and I'm a cheeky Sagittarius, but I became like that friend who just always flashes in a photo and just like wanted any reason to just like take my top off and just like walk around in no pants. Amelia found a reason when she went to the ladies' bars in Sydney with friends. The secluded area allows women to go topless or not, offering a safe place to make that decision. I remember it was New Year's Day of um, 2019 and a couple of friends and I went to Kuji. I had never been there before, so I was quite excited and, you know, pulled down my swimmers and well, I had one piece on and I just, like, tied the straps around my waist. Yeah, and we were just, like, lounging around the pool and I really don't, like, care to, like, draw attention to my breasts. But I found I found myself, like, putting leaves on my nipples and, like, laughing with my friends about it and it was strange but also a lot of fun. Like, I was like, oh, look, they're, like, little hats for my nipples. Like, we were all queer. I think that's an important point to make is that I think I've found my relationship with my body has grown through queer platonic friendships with women and non-binary people. There's not a pressure to be attracted to each other, even though we could be, but that's been like a vessel towards feeling okay. Then there's my friend Ash. We're colleagues, so don't worry, HR, we haven't seen each other nude, but the 30-year-old journo has always been comfortable without a thread on. I've always been nude in front of my friends, so like, if we get home from going out somewhere and you take off your shoes and then, I don't know, you'd sort of just like, if you take off your top, if you've been at the beach and you're just wearing like swimmer bottoms or shorts. When we were growing up, we were always quite sort of body confident. There was no real stigma around nudity. Like whenever we would have like sleepovers or whatever, there wasn't that whole, I'm going to get changed in the bathroom and, you know 
hidden away or anything. As an adult, Ash surrounds herself with friends who embrace nudity just as much as she does. It's so a part of her world that only rarely does the practice catch her by surprise. One of my friends is like full-blown, like my best mate, super comfortable around each other. And I vividly remember one day we'd been at the beach, she gets home, takes off all of her gear and we grab salads. She's sitting on my lounge, butt naked, not a stitch on, eating a salad out of the cardboard box. I'm like, mate, get your bare bum off my bloody lounge. That is where I sort of thought, hmm, I don't know about eating together nude. Um, I went with two friends to a Korean spa and they, if anyone's been to one, it's very invasive. And start, they literally confiscate your clothes. And we were laying on these plastic massage tables all being scrubbed down together. And you just sort of have to laugh because it's so pared back. Not to sound too sort of cheesy, but it's just really nice to be super comfortable with your mates and have those friends where you can say anything and do anything and completely be yourself, unabashed version of you. And sometimes that means that you have no makeup on and you have no top on because it's bloody hot, it's Aussie summer, and you just want to watch a movie with a mate eat some Cornettos and not have a bra on. What could be better than that? That shit is bonding. Do you have to have a certain degree of familiarity with your friends or say if it was a new person in your life, how would you navigate being nude in front of them? I think it's just courtesy, just to sort of test the waters. If they're a bit strange about it, I probably wouldn't like, if I, I don't know, we were staying together, I probably wouldn't just be like, I sleep in nude because they might not be comfortable. So I think that when it comes to any kind of platonic nudity, still respect is important. So begging a mate to have a bath with you at Shani might earn you a blocked number. There's so many reasons why someone might hesitate to be nude in front of their pals. So I hit up my friend Imogen Ivy for advice on how to ask someone to get naked. Imogen is a photographer and her walls are filled with intimate portraits of women's bodies. When someone's nude, I don't think that they're nude. Like, it's it's that past. So I, I've worked in... I've done nude photography about five years now. I've done over 600 photo shoots. When you do something every day, it's, it's like, you know, making a cup of tea. Like, if you were nude right now, I would not even fucking flinch. And I know that's crazy, but if you see the kind of life I live, it's just... It's so normal. Um, well, I grew up in a predominantly female household. I, um, I have a beautiful father and my parents are together. When I was raised, he travelled a lot. And so in the house, often it was just like my sisters and I and my mum. Nudity was so normalised in my childhood. And at that same time, I realised that it wasn't common. I was 14. Um, I remember very clearly I was at one of my friend's houses. It was a Friday night. And my mum that day had told me a really funny story in the bath. I bath with my siblings and my parents still do. For me, it's normal. If you're listening to this, I'm sorry if that's not normal. My friends, like, and they were predominantly men, boys, just started laughing. They're like, what do you mean bathing your mum? And they wouldn't even listen to the story. Um, They're like, that's so fucking weird. Like, what do you mean? And I was like, what? Because the way I was raised, it wasn't never, never sexualized. It was never uncomfortable. Like with her family, Imogen is super comfortable with her friends as well and led to all types of shenanigans growing up. My friends and I would do an annual nude drive. So I have a, I have like this old beetle, right, and it's got no roof. So we would drive nude 
fully nude. Um, we would wear hats and shoes only. It was so much fun. It was a bit of thrill. It's, I'm not saying you should do it. It's very illegal. Imogen soon began using her friends as muses to capture and embrace bodies of all shapes and sizes. So I started photographing my friends and it was just for fun, like 100%. And I put a few on Instagram and I was, you know, kind of shocked with the amount of people that wanted to join in. And um, for me, I just wanted to show the fun and the freedom because I shoot everyday legends. But I never thought strangers would contact me or even like follow me um, and be like, hey, I want to be shot. I want to do this. And I was like, oh, okay. For Amelia, Ash and Imogen, personal boundaries, acceptance and respect are foundational in their ability to be comfortable around others while naked. I think I have grown to be very proud of what my body has survived um, physically and, and mentally because I think there's an such an important relationship with your own body but also I'm surrounded by people who do remind me that the body I live in is one that is worthy and deserving and beautiful. I just think nudity is like any other skill you acquire. The more you do it, the better you become at it. Just keep it legal. You can be comfortable and confident and be nice and loving and forgiving to your body. doesn't mean you have to be nude. God, no. I That's just how I was raised. Like, it doesn't matter if you're showing your skin or not. If you ever want to be more comfortable being nude, Great. If you never want to be nude, great. It doesn't matter. There's no universal experience in showing the most vulnerable side of yourself, even in front of the people who are meant to know you best. I won't be putting leaves in my boobs, eating salad, or driving around naked anytime soon. But it's all about taking those baby steps, one tub at a time. Can we get out of the bath now, or...? I we can hang here. <laughs> All the best would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which we make these stories and pay our respects to Elders past and present. All the best is made at FBI Radio on Gadigal land in association with SIN and 3RRR on Wurundjeri Woiwurrung and Boonwurrung lands and 8CCC on Arunde and Waramungu lands. The All the Best editorial manager is Mal Chun and Phoebe Adler-Ryan is our production manager. Our social media producer is Isabella Lee. Patrick McKenzie is our community coordinator. Shining Bird composed our theme music and Annie Hamilton designed the artwork. We're heard across Australia on the Community Radio Network and we're made possible by the Art Gallery of New South Wales and the Community Broadcasting Foundation. You can find our full archive of more than 500 episodes at allthebestradio.com. I'm Madhura Prakash. Thanks for listening. <laughs>